Hey everybody and welcome to Learning from Smart People. I am your host, Rob Oliver, and I wish you a wonderful day wherever you are. And I hope that you have your thinking cap on and your learning cap on and you are ready to do some learning today because I've got a smart person. His name is G. Ranasina. He is the CEO of Kexino, an award-winning marketing agency that helps startups and small businesses grow awareness, reputation, trust, and sales. A fellow of the Chartered Institute of Marketing, G is also a visiting professor at a European business school, teaching final year MBA students on marketing and behavioral economics. G, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Rob. I'm delighted to be here. Sure thing. So let's just start with your backstory, kind of where did you come from and how did you get to where you are today? Okay. Well, the uh, the, sh the short answer is I've been in marketing since probably around 1998, since since the days of dial-up internet and AOL CDs. Remember those? Oh, absolutely. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I just remember that at one point we had enough AOL CDs that um, we started using them as, as coasters, I think. So, yeah. Yeah, I think they were probably used more as coasters than they were used for anything else, including their actual reason to be. Uh, yeah, so since 1998, um, I, I started off in the corporate realm. I was a director of marketing for a software company, um, and I, I was there for seven years. We were working with um, blue-chip clients such as Time Inc., IKEA, Nestle, Airbus, Marvel, companies like that. Um, but after after seven years, I was sort of hitting a bit of an obstacle because we'd done as much as we could really without the company growing to significantly growing to the next stage, if you like. Okay. Um, and during the course of my time there, I was looking around and obviously I was interviewing marketing agencies to, to, to work with. And I noticed that every time I'd invite them in to pitch, I was amazed that none of them would take any fiduciary responsibility for the marketing plans that they would actually propose. You know, right. they'd be very interested in the tactical stuff and, uh, you know, design and advertising and events and sponsorships and this sort of thing. But nobody was asking me about business results I was expecting for the marketing plan that they were going to produce. And I thought that seemed to be, you know, a little, a little crazy, really. Sure. Um, around the same time, um, a little thing called the internet came about. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but um, it, it apparently it's quite popular nowadays. Yeah, well, we can all thank um, Al Gore for that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, the, the internet was just getting, you know, popular in terms of, you, you know, you and I using it for our daily lives. Um, uh, it was, you know, pre-smartphone. Pre but there are a ton of startups and small businesses out there who seem to be losing out on the opportunities. It was the big guys, the Fortune 100, the Fortune 500 companies that were leveraging the power of the internet for commerce because they had, you know, deep pockets and, you know, ex expansive resources. Sure. And I just felt that small to medium-sized businesses weren't really getting a look in. And it was sort of passing them by. 
um, I couldn't find a marketing agency that was embracing that and helping them, advising them on how they could use, exploit the, the, the power of the internet in their own businesses. So in 2008, um, I left the cocooned world of the corporate life with the company BMWs and expense accounts and international travel and all that good stuff. And we started our agency back then. And as I said, that was 2008, which, as you'll probably remember, probably wasn't the best year ever to start a marketing agency. <laughs> right. So um, yeah, well, let me, I want to ask you about something that you mentioned there at the beginning. You were talking about marketing agencies not really inquiring about what your what what your expectations were as far as revenue um, you know being generated from this how did is that something that you brought with you as you started your marketing agency to to be able to start to talk about what the expected return on investment is from marketing yeah i think that's a good question rob yes absolutely i i feel that then and even unfortunately even more so today uh, marketing agencies are too focused on tactical execution rather than looking at producing or working with the client from a business perspective, from a business result. It seems like, are, are you familiar with um, Mavslov's hammer or the law of the instrument? If all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, mm. right? Right. Um, and the, 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 the problem with marketing agencies who lead from a tactical perspective perspective is that they're automatically deciding on channels and methods of execution even before they've done what I would call the most basic parts of marketing. Um, customer research, behavior, uh, buying patterns, segmentation, messaging, positioning, all that good stuff, which, you know, is marketing 101, really. And they're diving straight into tactics before they've even acknowledged um, anything about customer buying patterns or behaviours. Uh, and I think it leads on to the the bigger question of what marketing is all about. Now, from a marketing agency, it's primarily about business, the business of the agency. But it seems like that plays second fiddle a little bit when they're speaking to their clients, where the clients are looking for a business result too, Right. You know, like, like I, I, I'm often I'm often saying this internally. In my team, my team would laugh if I, if if I if I say it again. You know, marketing isn't marketing if it doesn't sell anything, right? Mm, yes. The, the ultimate the ultimate goal is to move the needle revenue wise. So if that's the ultimate arbiter of whether a marketing um, activity is successful or not. Surely this should be the first port of call for any marketing agency worth its salt to be focused on from the from the client perspective. Okay, so I, I understand a little bit about marketing, and sometimes what I'm hearing is kind of marketing agencies selling brand awareness, where um, it is a it's a non tangible non it's an it's an undefinable from a, a value perspective thing where you said, well, we've increased your brand awareness and we can't, you can't attach a monetary figure to that. 
And I'm assuming that there is the opposite of that, which is kind of direct response marketing, where you're able to directly track the results of the marketing effort. Can you talk to me about those two different approaches and kind of what you see as the, you know, the best practices in there? Absolutely. Um, another good question, Rob. You've been doing your homework. I'm very impressed, I have to say. Oh, thank you. Um, there, 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 are, there are two very distinct spheres, if you like. We have, and if you, if you steer too far one way or the other, it can often land you into, into challenges. On the one hand, you have the brand awareness side of things which, like you say, is quite difficult to measure. And one of the reasons for that is that as a, as a business, you don't actually have control over that position. A brand is the opinion, the emotional response formed in the hearts and then the minds of your customers. It's your customers who control your brand, mm. not you. Right. Um, but if we, if we, without going into the weeds and going too deep in marketing theory, which I would love to do because I, I teach it, um, but not to bore you or uh, everyone on the on the podcast. Um, if if we keep it quite light, brand at the end of the day, I like to think of it as an insurance policy for removing the least sucky choices. Okay. That's a technical term. Sure. <laughs> okay. Right. Let me explain. Branding at, it, at, its, at its very essence from a real-world shopper perspective is an insurance policy about buying mediocre. Okay? If you are looking to buy a product and you have no particular affinity as to product A or product B, if one of those products is from a brand that you know directly or indirectly from your own real-world experience, you are more predisposed to purchase the brand that you know. Okay. All other things being equal. Got it. Okay? If I buy... A Samsung TV. Other TVs are available, of course, right? right? I buy a Samsung TV, for example. I can be pretty much guaranteed that the experience I have with that TV is going to be somewhere from, oh my God, this is absolutely awesome, to, yeah, it's pretty good. I'm pretty happy with my purchase. Right. It's very unlikely that you're going to get to the point where, oh my God, what an absolute piece of Garbage. crap. Yep. Right? Yep. Right. And that is your insurance policy. Now, you could go off-piste and buy a, another television from an unknown manufacturer, and you may well be pleased with your purchase. It may excel from a technical perspective, from a usability perspective, from the Samsung equivalent. But there's also the other side of the coin, it might be an absolute lemon. Right. And the interesting thing from a behavioral perspective is 
if we were friends, well, of course, we are friends now, Rob, right? Absolutely. So if, if, if we were friends and I said to you that I was in the market for a television and I bought a Samsung and after three months, the, the thing blew up. No, sorry. After one year and one day, let's say, after the warranty ran out. Yep. That's probably a better analogy. One year and one day, the thing blew up. You'd f- you'd feel empathy with me. Oh, gee, that's really, really bad luck. I'm so sorry to hear that. Right. Right? I mean, it's Samsung. Now, if I bought the no-name, unknown brand TV, and the same thing happened after one year and one day, the thing exploded, you'd look at me and say, look, you know what, gee? It's your own fault. You should have stuck with a brand, and I'm sure it would have been much better for you. Understood. Yeah, so it's kind of a, a what did you expect, right? You bought, exactly. You bought an off-brand. What did you expect from, from that particular one? So that's primarily what brand is. It stops you buying sucky stuff, if okay. you like. Okay? Got it. So it's, it's very important. And it should be part of any marketing engagement plan. On the other side of the coin is what we call sales activation. The direct response stuff that you you mentioned earlier on. Okay. So this is, you know, 90% of what the average person in the street would call marketing in inverted commas. It's the um, buy in the next 10 minutes to get a, an extra discount. Um, it's the higher pressure um, selling techniques. It's the um, seemingly endless banner, banner ads or social media ads that take you to a landing page and try to convince you in the space of scrolling through that page to purchase a product or, or service. Okay. Now, both of those are important. Because clearly, um, from a sales activation standpoint, unless you fill that funnel, you're not going to get anything popping out the other end. And as a business, you know, there, there clearly needs to be cash flow. No cash flow, no business. The issue in my mind comes when the balance between brand awareness and sales activation is out of kilter. And we're too far one way or the other. The thing is, most people either abandon brand awareness because, as you mentioned, it's difficult to measure, or don't hold it in high enough regard because brand awareness is a slower burn initiative. It it goes on for longer, and it's less attributable to particular actions that you um, initiate throughout a particular time period. But it increases our overall awareness from the customer expectation level at a a more macro level. The problem with focusing too much on sales activation is you spend money on sales activation, sales go up. You stop spending money on sales activation and the sales go back down to zero. And so you have this sawtooth curve or on a graph continuously got it but if you combine these things together 
and you have brand activation, brand um, awareness with sales activation together, what happens since brand uh, awareness is a longer burn, what happens after, a, after some time is you spend money on sales activation and when you turn the tap off again, instead of getting down back to zero, you're a little bit above zero because that threshold level of awareness of the brand has started to kick in. Okay. So next time you spend the same amount of money on sales activation, the height of that sawtooth curve goes up a little bit and falls a little bit less. Right. I, I, you anticipated my next question because my thought is that when you're looking at sales activation, since people are more willing to purchase from um, company from brands that they are familiar with and feel comfortable with and trust, I would imagine that your sales conversion rate is going to go up as brand awareness increases. So if that is that, I'm thinking that's is that accurate? Absolutely. What we'd say the CAC, the CAC, the customer acquisition costs, okay, reduce because there is a greater recognition of the brand. Okay. It expands further. The reticence to sale reduces. Customer loyalty increases. You know, it's it's all good stuff, Rob. I mean, right. it, there's very little downside. Yeah. No, it, and it's all good stuff, and yet it is, in practical terms, just a very difficult thing to um, a very difficult thing to track and and measure. It, let me ask you this: with everything going on in the world with COVID and everything, how is that impacting the what's going on with marketing? Because I'm assuming that marketing has marketing has to change and adapt with kind of the, the way that things are going now. What are your thoughts there? I think we could do a podcast just on this subject, to be honest. Okay. Um, I, uh, I think that, that there's a lot to unpack here. Number one, I think we have to look a little bit about how marketing has evolved to date. Um, and that really focuses around the fact that um, you, let me let me let me start from the beginning. Okay, marketing used to be primarily about persuading people, right, to influence behaviour to deliver a commercial result. But to, for the last at least five years and probably ten years. I have the feeling that 99% of marketing that we see, especially online, has been created that's more concerned with efficiency than effectiveness. It's as though marketing is seen as a brand of, uh, a, a, a part of logistics rather than what it actually is. And I think that's because businesses are confusing efficiency with effectiveness because hmm. they're not the same thing. Okay. Let me explain. Yeah, okay? thank you. So effectiveness is how well you're doing to achieve your goals, right? How successful you are at delivering on whatever you set out to do, okay? Efficiency, in contrast, we can look at it as a ratio. It's about how much input you make to deliver a particular output, okay? So... What's happening is that marketing tactics are driven, are increasingly driven, not totally driven, 
by people more concerned with efficiency than effectiveness. So the, the, what they're trying to do is reduce the input, reduce the spend of marketing to the absolute minimum, yet maintain a certain output and call that success. Okay. Okay. But the, there are many problems with this. Um, firstly, by chasing efficiency metrics, businesses end up looking and saying the same thing as each other. And you've probably seen this in your own experience. If you see a piece of marketing or a website or any piece of customer-facing collateral and you cover up the logo of the brand, it pretty much looks like any competitor in that market space. Right. Right? And that, 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 that's a problem. So by pursuing metrics based around efficiency above all else, we've exorcised the creativity out of the equation. And instead of doing the basics of marketing, you know, research and segmentation and positioning and all that other stuff, it seems to me that we've come to the conclusion that marketing that's more targeted, that fails, that is bad, that is seen as intrusive um, and... Um, ineffective to the consumer is held to a higher regard than great marketing that spread wider. Okay. Which is why marketers today are resorting to tricks like cookies and remarketing tags and programmatic advertising and all the rest of it. They're, they're focusing on the wrong part. They're focusing, it's like they're focusing on getting the pizza delivered as fast as possible without realizing that it hasn't been cooked properly and it's got the wrong toppings on it. Mm. Okay? Yeah. So what COVID allows us to do, it gives us a golden opportunity to wipe the slate clean, to get rid of this cruise control attitude that too many marketers, marketing agencies, in-house departments have been running on all of this time because... The returns on this position of marketing have been getting smaller and smaller year on um, as as we go through. And so it gives us the opportunity to to reset, if you like, that internal business compass to create marketing that's more more effective, certainly, more resonant, more more in empathy with with the customer so you're not talking at them that you're talking with them that mm. you're, you're 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 more understanding of their position and you're coming at it from a more consultative informative educational perspective rather than buy one get one free i understand that i think it makes a lot of sense i i I definitely don't understand it on to the depth of what you've explained, but it, it makes sense to me that people are looking to looking to minimize the budget and, and kind of not realizing the importance of standing out from their competitors and making, making themselves a, a brand that a brand apart rather than, and maybe I think, 
maybe there's a, an issue where people are not, and I think thinking outside the box is a term that gets way overused, but people are not, people are looking to copy what everybody else is doing rather than um, doing something to make themselves stand out on their own. It, it, what's your, what are your thoughts there? Everyone wants to be noticed, but nobody wants to stand out. Yeah. They're afraid. Sure. Okay. They're afraid. Yep. Right. The, the, the word you're looking for is differentiation. Okay. Okay. There isn't any differentiation because when you're going down an efficiency road, the creative aspect to articulate a differentiated position is a luxury that you can't afford to entertain. Okay. You're, everything's about cutting budget, both in terms of you know monetary as, as well as resource-wise, mm-hmm. which has the reverse effect on the business. Over the longer term, it means less growth and less market share because you're not standing out. People don't recognize you from the 101 others that are out there. It actually works against you. The most dangerous thing you can do as a marketer is not stand out. And yet people are afraid to do this because from a corporate perspective, at least, we're all operating on a on a three-month calendar because that's when the next shareholder meeting is and that's when the next report is coming in. Got it. So they need to see a tangible uplift in revenue, in performance, in a totally unrealistic time frame. Okay. You know, why, why is the average tenure of a CMO about 18 months now? It's just ridiculous. You can't put in place anything strategic in that length of time. Okay. So we are, our time is almost up. If you are going to give advice to folks who are looking at their marketing right now, um, small business owners, medium-sized business owners, if you could give them either a couple tips or a couple points of what to look at, um, what, what would you tell them? There are many errors that I see. I mean, I, I speak to startups and small business owners pretty much every single day. Okay. And there are a number of things which crop up again and again. I think probably the biggest one in terms of importance is not having a plan, not having a marketing plan. They dive, as as we mentioned earlier on, too many business owners or marketing managers tend to dive straight into tactical execution without having a real strategic plan. Basically, they're, they're waving a wet finger in the air right. and winging the whole thing. Um, and it's vitally important to have a defined list of the underlying business goals that the marketing plan should address. Because once you know what the target is, then you can design a plan outlining the ways and means you intend to deliver on those business goals. Without keeping track of what you're doing and how you're doing it, how often you're doing it, um, you're flying blind. Now, often the reason why businesses don't have a marketing plan, especially a small business, is because they don't know how to design a marketing plan. But that's absolutely fine because your marketing services provider should be helping you out on that. And if your choice of marketing services provider isn't doing that, then my advice is you for you to run very fast in the opposite direction. <laughs> right. Well, okay. And 
and I think this kind of, that takes us full circle because when you started out, you were talking about how you were getting pitches from marketing agencies that didn't talk about the, you know, I think what you said was the fiduciary um, side of what was going on. And in what you, what you're saying now is for small businesses, medium sized businesses, it starts with what are your expectations from your marketing? And then the marketing, the marketing needs to adapt to what those, what those goals are. And it might, there may be different ways that are needed to get there, but um, the only way to measure the success of your marketing is based on what your expectations were from the beginning. Is that summing up fair enough? Yeah. yeah. Mar marketing needs to follow your business plan and not the other way around. Got it. Okay. You don't set a marketing budget without knowing whether it's realistically sustainable for the business. Okay. Good. You know, just like in, just like any other line item you would have in your PL. Excellent. Hey, listen, gee, I could probably talk to you on this for quite some time. Um, if people want to learn more about you and learn more about uh, Kexino, where can they find you? Um, first point of call is obviously the website, which is kexino.com. That's K-E-X-I-N-O.com. If they want to contact me directly, probably the easiest way is to get hold of me is on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, but I'm on various other social media channels as well. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on, on far too many, to be honest. No problem. Um, and I'll make sure to put links to all of those down in the show notes so that people can uh, find you as easily as possible. Uh, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Oh, no problem at all. I, listen, G. Renesina, you have been fantastic and shared a lot. Uh, it is now time for three questions to establish your humanity. Are you ready for these, oh, my, my friend? Um, as, ever, as I'll ever be, I suppose, Rob, treat me gently. Absolutely. <laughs> what is the first thing that you do in the morning? The first thing I do in the morning is wonder if I can squeeze another half an hour in bed. Yeah, I love that. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I used to listen to Abbott and Costello, and one of them said, you know, I woke up this morning and I, I felt like I wanted to go for a run, and then I felt like I wanted to go for a swim, and then I felt like I wanted to go for a sauna. And the other one says, you know, well, what did you do? He says, well, I laid in bed until the feeling went away. I'm so <laughs> yeah, and uh, absolutely no. Um, especially um, during my, my my day, I mean, the the agency is based in Europe, but eighty percent of our clients are in the US. Okay, so um, it means I have nice lazy mornings, but it means I have pretty late nights as well. Got so uh, an extra half an hour in bed is absolute gold. Wonderful. So at a party. Where can people find you? Are they going to find you, um, you know, on the dance floor? Are they going to find you, you know, kind of hanging about by the being a wallflower? Where on the where in the party will they find G? At the beginning of the evening, Rob, they will find G talking to a pot plant. That's probably where I'll be to be <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. Um, then once a glass of two of the falling down water is kicked in. Um, I I will then slowly but surely come out of my shell. You will probably not see me on the dance floor at any point in time, and that's really for your 
physical and mental health as much as anyone else. Excellent. All right. Last question for you. Um, when you, when you and your family get together, what is the one dish that makes you feel most at home and most, most family ish, if that makes any sense? I'm sure a hundred guests have said the same answer, Rob, but there's nothing quite like a good roast chicken. Excellent. And, you know, I, I think roast chicken, and this is another piece of useless trivia that gets into my brain and stores for these moments. I, 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 I seem to remember reading somewhere that a roast chicken with, with all the, with all the accompaniments was the single most popular dish for inmates on death row. Wow. I, well, I hope that you never find yourself in that situation. Um, needing... Yeah, that wasn't the reason why I suggested it. <laughs> okay. I, just And just for sake of reference, um, what is what is your piece, uh, you know, your piece of choice? Are you going wing, leg, breast? What's your roast chicken piece of choice? Ooh, good question. Usually my, my wife beats me to the breast. Okay. Um, so I would say probably either a leg or a wing um, or, yeah, or, or what, what, whatever, whatever's left. But, yeah, uh, I, I don't usually you – know, I'm usually carving, but I don't usually get the, uh, the, the, the pick of the pieces afterwards. Actually, um, you know, that is – it's a good husband, a good dad thing in which – um, you make sure that everyone else gets what they need and you take what's left over. So I, just a real quick side story. My brother-in-law comes from a family of 10 and his mom came uh, from Czechoslovakia and came from a large family as well. And she was the one that did a lot of the cooking for her family when when she was young. And the men all got their choice first and then her mom got her choice and then as a girl the piece that was left for her was the chicken neck and so as at, when she got older and she was cooking for her family uh, the, her piece of choice was the chicken neck because that was what made her feel at home and made her feel like you know solid because this is what she was used to eating a very very unique situation listen gee actually i i, I love chicken neck i have turkey neck as well okay now, now you mention it, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I should have thought of neck. Yes. No problem. Hey, G, you've <laughs> been phenomenal. I appreciate you being with me today and sharing all of the insights. It has been, uh, you have shown indeed that you are smart and you have established that you are a person. I appreciate you being here. To all my listeners, thank you. If you enjoyed this, please love, leave us a review on iTunes. And I will remind you that when you stop learning you stop living. Have a great day, everybody.